you know, the goal for me is to illustrate to the folks that I'm, I'm speaking with what the new focus of digital product and service design is. And it's not cranking out more features. It's not getting more stuff out the door and in front of customers. It's having a meaningful impact on customer behavior. And the beauty of digital is that you can measure that. There is an objective measure of that impact. And that yeah. is the new definition of success. And that is the new definition of done. Hey, and welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. This week, we have a special episode where Austin interviewed an absolute expert in UX, Jeff Godhelf, author of Lean UX and Sense and Respond. They took a deep dive into Lean UX methodologies, talked about the history of UX, and discussed how teams could be structured for design. It's packed full with great advice and thoughts. We really, really think you're going to love it. So without further ado, here's Jeff Gotthelf. So I am super thrilled today to, to be joined by an awesome guest. Uh, I'm joined today by Jeff Gotthelf. He's a UX thought leader, a keynote speaker, and author of two books, Lean UX, the first of which, and it's a staple in the UX community now, you've probably heard of it, and a forthcoming book, Sense and Respond, which is due out this year. He has upcoming workshops in places like New York, uh, Tokyo, Richmond, Toronto, and Denver. And I have to say, he's truly one of the guys uh, that I respect and admire the most, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show today. We've got a lot to talk about in a short amount of time, so I'm sure that it's going to be jam-packed with uh, with some awesome insights. Jeff, thanks for coming on today. Uh, my pleasure, Austin. That was a, a killer intro. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, awesome. So I, I have to ask you, you've You've been involved in UX for a long time, and and now you're uh, you're probably one of the first people that people think of when when they think of UX. You're you're almost directly associated with the profession. How have you seen uh, the field of UX change over the 20 years that you've been in it? I know that you did your first user research session 20 years ago, like before it was even cool, right? <laughs> it, it, it certainly was. It was becoming more cool at the time, but the people people have been doing it for a while. But I mean, look, it's it's been a, it's been an amazing. Um, Roughly 20 years, uh, you know, rounding up just a little bit, but yeah, uh, to make myself <laughs> feel a little bit better. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's been really interesting. You know, I when I started my career in the late 90s, it was it's a completely different world. Right, it was a brand new medium, a brand new channel, and really it was much more of of a uh, a marketing and, and and broadcasting channel. It wasn't necessarily mm. a a two way communication stream. It was. It was brochureware. That's what we built. You know, we built digital brochures for companies back then. And so the real challenge—not that that challenge has evaporated, you know, 20 years later—but the biggest challenge back then was uh, information architecture and findability. Really, that was like, mm -hmm. how do you structure this content in a way that people can find in a medium that they've never experienced before or have had very little exposure to? And so everything that we did back then was, you know, heavy, heavy information architecture, 
more so than interaction design, uh, because there was very little interaction. There's very little uh, you know two two way interaction. It was more you know click and read and click and read and click and read. Um, and you know, and and so my career began as an information architect, working mm-hmm. on big content sites, and working for clients to make them understand why structuring their content in ways other than their org chart made more sense for their for their uh, customers, for their readers, for for people who are looking for them online. You know, and, and the transformation in the twenty years has been it's been radical in that the you know digital has become fundamental to doing business. And the capabilities mm-hmm. of digital, and the way that we interact and consume digital products and services and contents, has evolved so much. It's it's become such a core component of services that we have now. We have now to design not just the content, even though it's still such a critical component, or the information architecture, but the interaction design, the visual design, the motion design, the service design, the customer service, the 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 entire experience of interacting with a product or service. I was just complaining online earlier this week about offboarding experiences. You know, we talk a lot about in UX about onboarding, how to get people quickly using your service and understanding the value that it brings. But there's little talk about offboarding when someone wants to quit legitimately for mm-hmm. whatever reason um, and how difficult companies make it for people to quit. That is something that rarely gets covered, right? And so really taking that holistic look at how customers interact and that it's, it's so much more rich and robust and, and all-encompassing than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Wow. So with with all of that change, what, what do you find yourself focusing on now? Like what, what are what are your core passions? What are the things that uh, you think are most important to you in the field of UX? Yeah, so to me these days, my core focus is organizational design. The biggest challenge t- that I've seen in my career to building great products and services has been poor organizational design and management. Talented designers are out there. Great design is out there. Amazing and relatively easy to use technology is out there. The, so so the, the, the can we build great products and services question is answered. Of course we can. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the how do we, how do we design a culture and an organization that puts a customer-centric view on that effort? And I think that that's still, unfortunately, painfully missing in many, many companies. Even though there's a lot of talk about it, and certainly some investment in design and and, and UX and copy and content and you know and and uh, all all of those things that make up a great experience, the organization that that envelops those skills still doesn't put the kind of folk. Most organizations don't put the kind of focus that's needed to make those people successful. Right. How, what, are, what are some of the ways that you're thinking about like, solving that for organizations? And what's the scale that you're dealing with? 
Yeah, so, so, so that's a great question, and the scale the scale for me has has is increasing, um, and and I uh, and that, and that's by design. I, I I'm working to to have conversations and and consulting engagements with you know the higher echelons of most organizations that I'm working for. So moving uh, you know beyond sort of UX and design leadership and product leadership, engineering leadership, and then and then C-suite management level type of things. And you know the goal for me is to illustrate to the folks that I'm, I'm speaking with what the new focus of digital product and service design is. And it's not cranking out more features. It's not getting more stuff out the door and in front of customers. It's having a meaningful impact on customer behavior. And the beauty of digital, of technology, of, of any business powered by technology, and, and all businesses are powered by technology these days, mm-hmm. um, is that you can measure that. There is an objective measure of that impact. And that yeah. is the new definition of success. And that is the new definition of done. And when I can convince executives that that's their new measure of success, that puts the customer at the center of the conversation. Because yeah. all of a sudden, we want to affect the customer's behavior. Well, terrific. Well, what do we know about them? Well, we think we know a lot of stuff. Well, let's find out what's actually true. And let's see what matters to them. And let's, let's figure out if this feature matters or that feature matters. Or if this implementation of feature is more effective than that. And that's the key, is to, is to shift the focus of the business from making stuff to achieving an outcome, a, a meaningful change in customer behavior. So do you think that the most effective way to really implement user-centered design into an organization, it has to be done top-down? Or do you think that it can be introduced from the individual level up? Like, where, where, where do you think that plays into it? I, th- I think it's a two-way street. Uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think you can do one without the other. Uh, it certainly, certainly helps to have a top-down driven approach to this because that helps to set the culture, hire the right people, empower them, and give them the, the freedom to, to operate, the autonomy um, to operate as needed to achieve that. Um, that said, uh, it's, it's still rare. And so I think that a constant bottom-up approach that bubbles up learnings and evidence and findings and pivots and all the things that a user-centric focus, all, you know, all the data that mm-hmm. a user-centric focus generates uh, helps to convince uh, those executives to invest more. The key, the key, the biggest f- you know, failing that I see in teams that are trying to achieve this from a bottoms-up perspective is language. We get so caught up in the way that we speak to each other in, the, in design or in tech or in IT or whoever who you're speaking to, and then you try to communicate that back up to executives, and they don't care, right? They don't care about margins, and they don't care about color palettes, and they don't care about fits law, right? Mm-hmm. What they care about is, um, you know, is, is profits and, 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 and sales and costs and resourcing plans and, and if you can and you can take your findings and translate it into language that they care about you can have a greater impact that's where eric reese you know crushed it and frankly pissed off a lot of the ux world <laughs> well because you know if, if you if you've read lean startup you know and, and, and when it first came out i remember like so many senior ux people were so pissed they're like we've been doing this for 40 years and no one you know why is he why is he a new york times bestseller 
And, and you know, part of the reason, there's, there's lots of reasons why, but part of the reason he had such an impact on the business world with these concepts that were very familiar to UX people is that he spoke business language. Yeah. Right? And, and, and that's the key. So if you're looking to build that bottoms up evidence-based approach, great, gather that evidence, but then present it in a way that matters to the person that you're presenting to. Mm-hmm. I think that's a wonderful thing about design today is that designers are empowered in a way that they've never been before, right? Like you mentioned how ob- objectivity is increasingly becoming central to design and that's in a lot of ways removing the subjectivity from it. How do you think that plays into that sort of strategy that the designer can take? Because to me, it sounds like in my experience, you know, the best way to communicate to that executive team would be to say, well, what are the metrics that they are trying to optimize for? And then communicating uh, in those in like similar metrics like revenue, retention, acquisition, those types of things. Do you think that that's something that also should play into the designer strategy or is it a little more gray than that? No, you, you, you're spot on. And in fact, that's exactly what I do with, uh, with the clients that I work with. So we take a look at their corporate goals for the year. And, and you know, let's be honest, in, in most cases, they're, they're very, very similar, right? It's revenue, profit, sales, retention, uh, acquisition, you know, yeah. some, some, maybe some, you know, company-specific ones. But, but generally, you know, t- three to five very, very kind of top-level measures of business health. And then... I work with the, the, the product teams to, and, and the executives to take those high levels of, of, of business health, high level measures of business health, and break them down into leading indicators. Okay, so our goal is increased uh, retention. Terrific. What drives retention? What, custom, yeah. what, you know, what customer behavior drives retention? And we take those, you know, and, and you, can, you can do that exercise two or three times until you get to a very granular outcome, a metric that you can then assign to a product team and say your job is to move this metric, move it up, move it down, whatever it is, right? And that becomes the the barometer of of success, right, for that that specific that team. Now, I want to be clear, right? That's that all all we've done at this point is we've assigned a a an initiative to a team, right? And, and given mm-hmm. them a clear success metric, right? Mm-hmm. The success is when we get more people renewing their subscription after the third month, right? Then, you know, that, that's, you know, if we've increased that by 20%, that is your measure of success. Now, yep. the subjectivity, the creativity, the problem solving, the fun part of doing our jobs, that this is when it comes in. And, and now it's like, okay, now I've got a goal. I have to understand what drives this kind of behavior. And now creatively, I have to come up with, with interesting solutions to help achieve that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where the fun part is of our job. We've, we've built some constraints around the problem space. And now we have to be creative within those constraints. And so the subjectivity, the creativity, the aesthetics, they're not gone. But we're not making art we're solving business problems. And yeah. so if our first few attempts at creativity didn't solve the problem in a way that's acceptable to us as a business, then we have to iterate and pivot and keep trying and doing more. Yeah. So in a sense, you could almost say design is not art, but it doesn't necessarily eliminate the creative aspects that we've 
become so accustomed to associate with design. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 problem solving, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, we we look great designers have great instincts. They have great experience. They have they have an eye for making a a an experience delightful, communicative, successful, efficient, whatever our goal is, right? And mm -hmm. and we are going to put all those skills to use. But we're also going to enter that that work with a level of humility that that will accept that we are going to be wrong on some of that and we will we will iterate our way towards a more successful version of it yeah so shifting gears a little bit tell me in a nutshell because this is this is like the thing that i think you you and eric and and a lot of people in your realm have become associated with is this lean movement it's so effective and you found some really great ways to adapt it you and josh seaton specifically have found really great ways to adapt it to uh ux and and you've labeled it lean ux appropriately how would you describe like in summary lean ux to the average person that may not be familiar with it to the average designer, I would say that, that Lean UX simply takes all the tools that are in a designer's toolbox, right? Everything from visual design tools to research to interaction design to copy and content and, and, and motion, whatever it is, right? And uh, it says, look, we're going to use those tools on an as-needed basis, but only to the depths that are necessary for us to take the next step forward in the evolution of this product or service. So instead of doing kind of deploying all of the tools to their full capacity for an extended period of time, we're going to do less more often. And we're only going to use the tools that are most accurate, that are most needed to achieve the next thing that we're trying to achieve. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's really an approach for efficiency and a reduction of waste in our process. You know, the, the, the inspiration for solving this problem came from my career, right? I mean, for me personally, anyway, 10 years of writing design spec documents. Mm -hmm. You know, 200 page design spec documents that listed everything from gradient ranges to corner radii to drop shadows to every click and what it did. And then having those specs get implemented on average anywhere between 20 and 30 percent yeah you know, so 70 percent of my work is getting thrown away every single time right that's a yeah. waste of my life not just my time <laughs> right and so that's the point of this it's like let's figure out what we need to do to move the conversation to the next step mm -hmm. how do you think it's this differs from some other processes that, that businesses may have used in the past or may be using today? The, the biggest risk is, and I can, I just kind of, again, speaking from my experience, both as, as a consultant, as an in-house practitioner, uh, you know, the, the inclination for many companies is big design up front, right? Mm -hmm. Let's design the whole system up front. Let's estimate it. Let's scope it. Let's estimate it. Let's write our stories and then and then use you know the the agile sprint model to to deliver the work. Um, the risk there is that you are baking so many assumptions into that design that inevitably, as you start to build the system and learn both not only you, you learn about the technical feasibility, you, you start to learn about the desirability and the usability, uh, uh, the viability of that system. 
those things change and evolve. And so all that work that you did up front is now largely false, or at least half of it isn't true anymore. So why waste the time doing that if you can take a smaller step and then learn and then take a more accurate step and then learn and then take a more accurate step? And I think that that's the key difference here is, is again, it's, it's, it's a position of humility. It's a position that says software development, digital product development is complex and unpredictable. And for, for us to stand here and tell you exactly how a system is going to uh, look, function, and evolve, and how it will be used by the people we intended to use for six months or a year or 18 months from now is pure speculation. Mm-hmm. And so let's, let's take a three-month guess because the investment is smaller and the learnings will come faster. And then we can take the next three-month guess based on those learnings. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the key difference here. The key difference is, is to say, look, we, don't, we can't predict the future. And uh, software will shift fundamentally. And so we're just going to take smaller steps to ensure that we don't go too far down the wrong path. Yep. Do you think there's ever a time when lean UX may not apply to an organization? Or is it pretty universal? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I get asked that question um, a lot. And, <laughs> and, and, and look, I, I will not sit here and tell you that lean UX solves everything in every, in every industry and domain forever, right? I don't believe that that's the case. Um, that said, the qualities, right, the, 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 the values of lean thinking are universal, right? It's, it's the values of humility, transparency, collaboration, continuous learning. Uh, you know, those things are universal. And if you apply them in your domain, I guarantee you can find ways to reduce waste in your process and build better products and services. Um, mm-hmm. I will tell you, I will share a quick anecdote. I had a, um, uh, I had a consulting gig late last year with, uh, with GE. And, and they, they, they hired me to come in and teach Lean UX to five different teams. And each team came from a different business line at GE. And a GE makes everything, right? So we had, yeah. we had a, a team in there that, uh, that was working on um, giant batteries. And we had a team in there that was working on locomotives. And we had a team in there that was working on factory automation. And another mm-hmm. team that was working on B2B uh, massive lighting sales, right? So selling... Like if you're building a mall and you need to buy light bulbs for the mall, like who do you buy that from? Well, it turns out you buy it from GE, um, <laughs> right? And so I have five different teams, fully industrial settings, each one of them different from another. And I was genuinely concerned uh, that I was going to get up in front of these folks who are experts in their, in, their, in their field, and I was going to pitch them these ideas, and the whole thing was going to collapse like a house of cards. Um, and, and, and to my you know, surprise, the ideas worked. Right? Sometimes you have to tweak the terminology, right? So instead of a feature in factory automation, maybe it's a tactic that they're going mm-hmm. to test, right? And is there a minimally viable tactic that they can test, right? But the, the concepts, again, of, of assumptions, uh, outcomes, hypotheses, experimentation, learning, um, collaboration, they, 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 so far, they've stood the test of a variety of different industries. Yep. So uh, I, I asked some of the, the basic questions, but I have to say, uh, just for everyone listening, I've, I personally read Lean UX and uh, I've adopted 
uh, the majority of it is as my personal process. I brought it to HubSpot here and it's been extremely effective. So if you're interested in learning about Lean UX, you can look up Jeff's book. Uh, it's on Amazon and I'm also going to put a link to it in the description. But Jeff, you've got another book coming out that seems like it, it kind of accompanies these ideas, but there isn't too much information about it. It's called Sense and Respond. And I think you might be holding it close to your chest, but I want to ask you, what are some of the core components behind this book? Sure. Uh, so the... Uh, the the only reason that there hasn't been a lot of stuff uh, out on it is because we've been writing it. But uh, <laughs> we've, uh, but, but, but you but, have to do that. You have to write a book oh before you can talk about it. <laughs> I wish I wish you didn't have to write it, but you do. Um, the uh, it, it, and we're close. We're close. We're a couple weeks out from our first uh, our first draft deadline, and so uh, I'm really really happy with the way it's coming along. So the short of it is that the the organizational design ideas that I was talking about earlier, that's what Sense and Respond is about. So it was born out of the feedback that we got from Lean UX. Mm -hmm. You know, tens of thousands of people have read Lean UX, and many of them have offered feedback to us in one form or another. The overarching theme, or the most common theme, was, hey, we love these ideas. We'd love to work this way. My boss won't let me work this way. Yeah. My company doesn't work this way. I can't tell you how often I hear that. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and 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 we've been hearing that for you know for three years at this point, um, and and so we decided to dig into that to understand what was the driver behind that feedback, and then took those learnings and sense and respond as a business book. So it's coming out on Harvard Business Press. It's targeted at managers, at leaders, at C level executives, and it is a rallying cry for a the recognition that. Uh, your business is a software-based business, no matter what business you're in. That managing software businesses is different than managing uh, traditional industrial manufacturing, like we've been doing for a hundred years. And that by doing so, by by changing the way that you manage, and we get explicit about how to do that, you unlock an enormous amount of potential in your organization and with your teams, and an enormous amount of emergent value in your customer base. And so it, it's really a book for the managers of the people who have read Lean UX so that they can create the kind of companies that these folks want to work at. Mm-hmm. That's super exciting to me because uh, that's I, I think that that kind of completes the circle, right? Uh, you got a lot of designers that have read Lean UX and uh, they're excited about it, but now they got now people got to figure out how you know how we really integrate this into especially established businesses. Do you all cover um, something that comes up a lot actually whenever I speak about UX and Lean UX in general? Is uh, agencies are are trying to figure out how you take like the lean UX model and uh, and adopt that to like uh, a retainer or some type of of an agency model so that they can stop doing waterfall and they can start doing something that's more iterative and cyclical. Do you uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you ever address that at all? Yeah, so I talk about that a lot. I mean, we do a little bit of that in the lean UX book. Um, there is uh, we there will ultimately be a second edition of the lean UX book as well. Um, which is in the works, but we've got to finish this first book, this this second <laughs> this second book first. Um, but uh, and we'll we'll expand on that. But the short of it is, yes, uh, we, I, I talk about that both in person. Um, I've talked about it a little bit in some blog posts. Um, we have direct, you know, Josh and I uh, have uh, direct firsthand experience with this, having 
launched uh, with a, our third business partner, Gift Constable, um, a small agency called Proof that then became Neo New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and in building Neo, the the benefit was we had these ideas in our head already. We got to start from scratch, and so we got to design the kind of business model that we wanted to. And in doing so, we learned a ton about how to build this kind of practice. Um, there's a lot to say about it. The short of it, and kind of the, the TLDR of, the, of that conversation is agencies have to rethink their business model. They have to rethink what they're selling, how they're selling it, and what they're charging for. And, and, and that's the toughest part, right? If you've been an agency for 20, 30, 40 years, and you've been selling deliverables, designs, prototypes, code, specs, PowerPoint decks, whatever it is, uh, people are used to buying that from you, and you're used to selling it. And to, to mm-hmm. retrain everybody in that ecosystem to sell outcomes, to sell time, uh, to sell uh, value, uh, is is a different is a, is a different and difficult proposition. It's pushing them essentially out of de- the deliverables business and into more of an outcome business, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, agencies yeah. are traditionally in the deliverables business, and that's right. that's that's the hardest part in in doing that. Well, Jeff, uh, it's really been great having you on today. I've I've enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I'm sure that our listeners have as well. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, maybe shoot a question your way, or, or learn more about some of the stuff that you're doing, where where should they reach out to you? Sure, um, you can uh, email me anytime, which is Jeff at gothealth.co. So G O T H E L F dot C O. Um, or you can grab me on Twitter at jboogie, which I've uh, <laughs> spent entirely too much time there, but I've uh, you know kind of gotten used to that that username, uh, which is a great way to, to to catch up with me as well. Um, uh, and then you know my website. I mean, again, uh, if you Google my name, you'll find me. But it's jeffgodhealth.com. So um, really easy. I'm, I'm I'm super easy to find and get in touch with. Thanks, man. It's it's been great having you on the show, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch in the future. My pleasure, Austin. Thanks so much for having yep. me. We'll see you. We'll be right back.